Um, Mother's Day is full of, uh, well, motherhood, right? It's full of tears and laughter and all kinds of emotions all the way through. And so I realize that uh, this day isn't, uh, that it's bittersweet, right? For some, um, it's wonderful. And for some, it's sad. Um, and for some, there's just a mix of emotions. So um, we, we recognize that. But uh, I saw those videos. That rings true, uh, at least for my mom. She's not here, so I can say that. Um, but... <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, well, a teacher was giving her second grade class a science lesson, and they were talking about magnets and what they do. And so the next day, she gave her kids a test, and it was going to cover all the things that they had learned that week. And one of the questions was, I have six letters. The first one starts with M. I pick things up. What am I? And when she collected all of the tests, she was surprised to see half of them wrote in mother. <laughs> Instead of magnet, they wrote in mother. Because moms pick stuff up. You know, Alicia tells my mom, she's like, you didn't do me any favors because my mom picked up everything of mine. Um, and I got into a bad habit of just, right, just chucking things everywhere. So, yeah, moms pick stuff up. Well, happy Mother's Day to all the moms who were with us. I was having a little bit of trouble remembering what I talked about last year. And I was like, what did I talk on last year? Well, this time last year, we were in the book of Ruth. And it just so happened that Ruth and Naomi were having this conversation. So it was very natural just to stay in the text and talk about Mother's Day uh, during that unique season. But it's not happening this week. <laughs> if you've read ahead, you know it's not Mother's Day material uh, that we're going to be covering next week as we stay in Matthew 5. So I just thought about... You know, since I do expository teaching, we just go verse by verse. Um, we have to do something topical today, which is which can be a little bit of a challenge to me, but um, that's okay. I thought, what better way to talk about motherhood on Mother's Day, but to look at some of the examples that we see in Scripture? What are some examples of motherhood and how God was working in those situations? Because you know, I say that because you know there are no perfect pictures of motherhood. Um, we're all sinful. We're all broken. Um, you know, you have examples like Sarah, right, who encouraged her husband Abraham to father a child with her servants, okay? Not a great example there. And then her mother, you know, her sister, her daughter-in-law, let me get that, mother, sister, daughter, daughter-in-law, Rebecca, encouraged her son to steal the birthright from Esau, right? And so not perfect pictures of motherhood, uh, broken, sinful women, but they were chasing after God. They were pointed to him. They were pointing their kids to him, and they had uh, surrendered them. They had surrendered their most precious possession into his hands. There's a verse that Paul writes in Philippians. I think it summarizes how we feel a lot of times as parents, and especially as mothers, uh, mostly because, as they say, a mother's work is never done, right? This is Philippians 3. 12 through 14. Uh, this is out of the message translation. Um, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I'm well on my way, reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal, which is where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. Now, none of us can claim to have it all together right? None of us have this thing nailed down. But if we reach out to Christ, who so wonderfully reached out to us, then we're on the right path. 
we're on the right path. And, you know, we want to follow Jesus all the days of our life. And if we do that, then our kids most likely are going to follow us right to Jesus. That is the goal. It doesn't matter what we leave them materially, what kind of inheritance they have. If they don't have a godly example to follow in us, then none of that means anything. They need a godly heritage to follow. Um, Eugene Peterson is the pastor who wrote the message translation. And uh, some people don't like it just because it's different, you know, than the King James, obviously. But um, I, I read his biography, and it's pretty impressive. He actually was an expert in ancient texts. And uh, so he really knew what he didn't just sit down and like write it out in vernacular. He really knew what he was talking about. But his spiritual formation happened when he was a child. His mother was a very gifted singer and actually preacher. And she would go into the prisons, into jails, and she would preach to the prisoners. And she would go out to the outskirts of town to the mining camps, and she would sing and she would preach to those as well. And she would bring little Eugene with her as she would go out there and preach and sing. And that's where his spiritual formation started. He grew up in the Lord, pointed towards him, and his, his message translation has impacted millions of people across the world. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about impact. And I've titled this Mother's Day message, Brace for Impact. Brace for Impact. Now, normally you hear that phrase right in front of a collision, right? You only hear brace for impact right in front of a collision. And sometimes motherhood can feel like that. It can feel like a series of collisions, at least in our house, when uh, things get a little chaotic. But what I mean in this context is that one of the main functions of motherhood is to serve as a brace for their children. They can serve as a brace and in so doing have a tremendous impact on their lives. Uh, well, I mean, if you just look at what braces do, what do braces do? Uh, they hold things up. They support things. They restrict movement that can be harmful. They actually correct things that can function in the right way. And isn't that what we do as parents? We build up, we hold up, we support our kids. We take corrective measures. Um, that's what we do as parents. Mothers have the opportunity to do that way more than anyone else. I read this week that... Um, Church only gets your kids for about 40 hours a year. 40 hours a year, that's it. By the time you take in, you know, vacations and holidays, all this kind of stuff, you know, just being gone, 40 hours a year. Schools, however, have your kids for about 1,200 hours a year. 1,200 hours. 1,200 hours versus 40 hours. Okay, and with the state of our public schools today and what they're pumping in to our kids, they are intentionally subverting the message that we're giving them, trying to port our, point our kids towards Jesus. So 1,200 hours versus 40 hours. Can't leave it up to the church, which is the reason why moms are so important. They have their kids for 3,000 hours a year. You guys have the most influence and are able to have the most impact on your children. Now, I don't usually do this, but I have an acronym this morning to help us remember what it is. And the acronym is IMPACT, okay? Have some grace on me because I don't normally do acronyms, okay? Um, there's a guy named Paul, and he wrote most of the New Testament. And he had a right-hand man. He had a protege named Timothy. Now, to start off the very first letter, I... Uh, it is introduce. Introduce. Mothers introduce their kids to the world 
They introduced their kids to so much, but first and foremost, they introduced their kids to the world. Paul had this guy named Timothy. Uh, Timothy, he entrusted the pastoring and the care of churches when he was away. He would send Timothy to these churches that they'd planted. He said, I am sending you my very heart. I can send Timothy to you because he's exactly like me. I have raised him up. And so he trusted him with that, which is a huge responsibility, while he was in prison. Now, Paul had learned from the best teachers of his day. He had sat at the feet of the best teachers. And now Timothy was learning from Paul. But how did he have the opportunity to do that? How did Timothy get connected to Paul? Well, listen, in Paul, or in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to him, this is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Timothy's mother and grandmother introduced him to the faith. They're the ones that pointed Timothy in the right direction. Now, we're told in Acts 16 that Timothy's dad was a Greek. So his dad was a Greek, his mother was Jewish. Who pointed him towards the Lord. We don't, we don't see that his dad was a Christian. We don't see that he was saved. So he had just as much of an opportunity to be raised in a pagan lifestyle as he did in the Jewish Christian lifestyle. And, you know, Eunice and Lois, his mother and his grandmother, steered him towards Christ. Interesting to note that Eunice's name, that name means good victory. Good victory. And I'd say that both her and her mother gained a good victory for the church, for the kingdom, when they named him. And that started early. I'm sure his mom named Timothy because Timothy means one who honors God. One who honors God. Their introduction led to a godly heritage, a godly legacy. Um, And we often have to remind ourselves uh, and ask the question, what kind of legacy are we leaving for our children um, and our grandchildren? Are we pointing them towards the Lord by the things that we say and the, by the things that we do? Our example, uh, there's, an, uh, there's a saying uh, that I've heard over and over again, and it's that more gets caught than taught. Right? They pick up what they see and what they hear more than you know, what's taught, so they catch it. So we need to live it out in a way that they get it. Um, It was a faith that dwelt or resided in, it dwelt in, resided in Lois and Eunice, and then Timothy got it as well. He went on to be Paul's right-hand man. Paul calls him his true son in the faith. He became a father figure to Timothy, pastoring churches, and he was able to do that all because of his mother and his grandmother um, and their decision to introduce him to the Lord. Uh, my mother isn't here today. Uh, she's in Guatemala with my, with my dad. They'll be back in a couple weeks. But I remember when I was a child, uh, almost every day, my mom sitting on the couch with her Bible open, uh, listening to Charles Stanley on the radio or Chuck Swindoll or something like that. And she introduced me to the scripture. She knew the word because she would quote it to me all the time, (laughs) all the time. Um, And that was a memory that I had growing up and it made a huge impact on me. Um, Alicia reads the Bible with our kids every single day and, um, you know, introduced them to the scriptures. Uh, It's kind of funny because uh, I'll find Bibles open uh, throughout the house, but I am not um, a night owl. I am an, I'm an early bird, so I don't like to stay up. And so I will kind of go to bed early sometimes. She will turn the light off, and it's funny because I have this headlamp that I use for hunting, <laughs> and she has commandeered it. And so she will lay there with the headlamp on, and she will read 
the scriptures while I'm sleeping. <laughs> um, introduce your kids as often as possible to the Lord. Okay, the next one is motivate. I've often wondered what it must be like, what it must have been like to raise Jesus, to raise him as a child. Can you imagine Mary raising Jesus? What would it have been like to be his brothers and sisters? That wouldn't have been a pleasant experience, right? Uh, why couldn't you be more like your brother? That would have been rough. Jesus was perfect. He was the ultimate firstborn. Um, you guys are familiar with, you know, the birth order and how that usually pans out. First kids are usually a little more, you know, compliant, a little more obedient. Jesus was perfect. He was the ultimate firstborn child. But what was it like for Mary to raise Jesus knowing what she knew? Uh, that her son was born with a specific, very divine purpose. Every Christian mother knows that their child was born for a purpose. We don't always see what that purpose is, but God does. Each child is born with a purpose. Well, if you've tuned in to the news this week, um, I was sitting at my kitchen table working on something last Sunday evening when Mercedes sent me a message about the leaked document, right? That uh, it looks like the Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade, which is incredible, right? That would be an incredible victory uh, for the church, for all of the unborn babies. I mean, thousands and thousands of babies, lives are going to be saved if they overturn this, and it looks like they will. If they don't, they, we need to pray for those justices. They need to be covered in prayer that they can undertake this task and do this because there is such backlash. And I can tell you, you've already seen it. Evil is being unmasked right now. When we see how devoted these people are to killing babies, it is disturbing. I watched a video yesterday. It was one of the most disturbing things I have seen as people are protesting their right, right to do this. And I, uh, as I was reading this week, it was interesting because I found the Hebrew word for compassion is a word named racham. Racham means compassion, and it is derived from the root word rechem. Rechem is the root word, and that means womb. The word compassion is derived from the word for womb in the Hebrew. And so that place of the womb is supposed to be a place of compassion, a place of love where something is birthed inside of you, um, not just physically, but also spiritually. And in our country, unfortunately, that has become a place uh, not of compassion, but of self-centeredness, of selfishness, as people are more concerned about themselves than they are about the life that's inside of them. So we need to pray for that decision. We need to pray for the justices and life in our country. But what must it have been like for Mary to raise Jesus knowing what his purpose was? She knew that he was going to be the Messiah, that he was going to be the one that came to save the people from their sins. And she understood the scriptures. She knew what that meant. The suffering that he was going to have to go through, the sacrifice that he was going to be. She was told at his baby dedication, if you remember, they went to the temple and a man came up and started prophesying over Jesus, over his parents. And he said, a sword will pierce your heart. And that wasn't speaking of how Mary was going to die. It was speaking of what was going to happen to her emotions, to her heart, when she witnessed what her baby boy was going to have to go through to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. It was going to be heart-rending. I don't know how you parent through that, with that knowledge. 
But we're given at least one instance where Mary was able to motivate Jesus, motivate him towards ministry. Uh, Jesus' first miracle happened at the request of his mother. Isn't that interesting? They were at a wedding, right? The wedding in Cana. And everybody's there. Everybody's having a good time. And Mary comes up to Jesus and she says, Jesus, um, they ran out of wine. There's no more wine. The wedding feast is still going on, but they're all out. This would have been extremely embarrassing to the young couple that was getting married. It would have been extremely embarrassing to the parents who are providing everything. And Jesus looks at her and he's like, what does that have to do with me? <laughs> it's not my time yet. And then Jesus go, or Mary goes over to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, I'm not being sacrilegious, but I find that very humorous. Because she says, Jesus, they're out of wine. You need to do a miracle. And Jesus is like, no. <laughs> and then he does a miracle. I mean, I don't know if it was mother's intuition or if she gave him the look. You know, that mother's look. You know? And then he goes ahead and he performs this miracle. But in this one instance, I'm not saying that Mary told Jesus what to do, but in this one instance, she was able to motivate him towards ministry. She knew that Jesus's mission was to point people to God, to the Father, and to bring him glory in everything he did. That was Jesus's mission. And that should be our mission for our kids, um, to enable them to live in such a way that we point others to Jesus, that we point others to the Father and we bring massive amounts of glory to him in the process. So we want to motivate our kids. Now, not only do we introduce, but mothers also motivate, uh, sometimes more sternly than others. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, one of the most dynamic, spirit-filled preachers of the 1800s, really in, in all of American history, um, still impacting the world today. You hear me quote him quite a bit. Uh, tells a story in his autobiography about his mother. And he tells about how every Sunday evening his mother would stay home with them and read and explain the scriptures and would plead with them to think about the state of their souls and to seek the Lord. And he remembers one time her praying, Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. And Charles Spurgeon said, That thought of a mother's bearing swift witness against me pierced my conscience and stirred my heart. Talk about motivation. Your mom says, you don't have an excuse. I've given you the truth. And if you don't lay hold of it, I'm going to have to be a witness against you because I did what I was supposed to do. Motivation. <laughs> okay, introduction, motivation, and persistence. Uh, and by that, I mean persistent prayer. Persistent prayer over our kids. Mothers are nothing if they are not persistent, right? We're given a beautiful picture of motherly persistence in 1 Samuel by a woman who wasn't even a mother yet, and that was Hannah. Now, Hannah and her husband, every year they traveled to Shiloh, which is where Eli the priest was, and they would travel there every year to worship and to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And one year, Hannah was extremely distraught. She hadn't been able to get pregnant and made worse by the fact that her husband had another wife and she was having lots of kids and Hannah didn't have any. And he really loved Hannah, but she hadn't been able to have kids. And so she goes into the temple and she prays this. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. 
And it says that while she was praying, the priest Eli walked over and he saw her lips moving, but he didn't, she, you know, he didn't hear any words coming out. And when he saw that, he made the assumption that she was drunk. And he said, you know, woman, get out of here. You can't be drunk in the house of the Lord. And she says this to Eli. Um, she said, she's not pregnant. She's praying for a son. And what Eli said was, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you your petition, your persistent prayer. And God looked at Hannah and her persistent prayer and he gave her a son. Then it says that she kept her word and after she weaned him, after she weaned Samuel, she took him back and she says this to Eli, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord for this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Hannah said she was lending Samuel to the Lord, but we know that in reality, The children are lent to us. God lends those children to us. And as followers of Jesus, we have to take our responsibility very seriously. And it's something that I'm convicted of, that I need to be in more persistent prayer for my children, right? Not only do we make persistent prayer to the Lord, but persistent prayer over our kids. Colossians 4.2 says, keep persisting in prayer, staying alert in it, and being thankful. She put her son in the hands of God, She pointed him in the right direction. She put him on the path to righteousness and Samuel became the mouthpiece for God for the whole nation of Israel. As a side note, God gave Hannah three more sons and two daughters. Her persistent prayer opened the floodgates, if I can say it that way, to blessing. And so we need to continue on in that. Regardless of how old our kids are, we gotta keep praying for them. Persistent prayer. Abraham Lincoln said, I remember my mother's prayers and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. Abraham needed, Abraham Lincoln needed prayer. Uh, Not just for the, I don't know if you've ever read his story. Um, He had failed business after failed business after lost political run, political run. I think he lost his political races like four times before he became president. Um, He needed those prayers that stuck with him all of his life. Introduction, motivation, persistent prayer, and now aspiration. Uh, one mother that doesn't get talked about a lot in the Bible is a woman named Yoshebed. And Yoshebed was the mother of Aaron and Miriam. She was also the mother of Moses. Now, she already had two children when she had Moses. Her and her husband, Amram, they knew Pharaoh's command at the time that any Hebrew male that was born was supposed to be killed. Any Hebrew male they were supposed to put to death. So she hid herself away. And the writer of Hebrews, this is interesting, the writer of Hebrews in the hall of faith includes Amran and Yoshebel. Yoshebed, he says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, we're not told precisely what mom and dad saw in Moses that made him so beautiful. We all think our kids are beautiful, right? But the interpretation there is that when they looked at Moses, there was just something about him that made him special. In fact, Stephen, Stephen, the first martyr, when he was preaching in front of the high priest in Acts 7, he says that at the time Moses was born, he was beautiful in God's sight, They saw Moses the way God saw Moses. 
And that's important. We need to see our kids. Mom, see your kids the way God sees your kids. We need to have high aspirations, casting vision for our kids, seeing them as the Lord does, divinely special and filled with purpose. They didn't let the fear of Pharaoh or what he said, his law, deter them, and they saved his life. And I'll remind you again that Egypt in the scriptures is always a picture of the world. Always a picture of the world. Don't be afraid of what the world says or what the world might do. You save your kids. That's what you do. Make Jesus the priority of your home. We can make it really difficult for our kids to get out of the way of Jesus. Uh, We can make it so everywhere they turn, they're bumping into God in our homes. They're bumping into Jesus conversations and how we're talking about how it applies to their life and what the scriptures say. Yes, they might feel restricted, but it'll save their life. I can't imagine what it was like uh, hiding a three-month-old, hiding a baby for three months. That had to have been difficult, probably a little bit stifling at times. And your kids might feel stifled when you point them towards the Lord repeatedly. They keep bumping into Jesus. One of my kids said that one of them, they're like, man, everything in this house is about Jesus. I said, yes, it is. (laughs) We're going to make it really hard to get out of the way. So we can do that for our kids. Now, I'm sure they were fearful at times. Uh, People who trust in the Lord are going to be fearful at times, but our fear of the Lord is greater than the fear of man and what they might do. Trusting the Lord, they do what's right, even if it means going against what the world says. Mothers... Parents, grandparents, we all need to have high aspirations for our kids, seeing them the way God does and speaking that over their lives. We need to see it, but we also need to speak it in faith over their lives. There is a huge uh, benefit in blessing your kids in that way, speaking it over them. It'd be hard to talk about motherly examples in the Bible if we didn't talk about the first mother in Eve. And there's not a lot of information about Eve as a mother except for her first two kids, right? Um, that was kind of a mixed bag. We know, we talked about it last week. Abel lived in a way that pleased the Lord, and Cain didn't live in a way that pleased the Lord. And Cain, out of anger, took his brother's life. That didn't go very well, and I have to, you know, I can't imagine what Eve was feeling at that point. Not only did she have to bear the consequences of her sin, but now in the fall, we have the first crime, the first murder, which happens to be one of her kids. Um, but there's another son that's mentioned. There's another son that's given to Eve by the name of Seth. And Eve said, God has given me another son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. Interesting side note here that the name Seth means appointed substitute. That's what Seth means. When Adam and Eve sinned, God made a commitment, a promise that one day a savior would come. One day you know, an appointed substitute would come to make things right, to repair the breach, the broken relationship that was now existing. Now, commitment can also be translated faithfulness. Faithfulness. Our kids need to see our commitment and our faithfulness to the Lord lived out. Not just physical provision, right? But spiritual provision. Um, Provision spiritually that won't fade in the face of difficulties, but will continue in faith will remain committed and faithful to the Lord. Now, Eve, like I said, had to bear the consequences, but it didn't keep her from pointing her kids to the Lord. Regardless of what life brings our way, tragedy, hardship, our children have to see our commitment to Jesus. And part of that is trusting his plan. 
And that's a really hard thing to do. To trust his plan, no matter what comes our way, even if we don't understand what happens, part of our job is to remain faithful. On our part, what we do is remain committed and faithful. And that's what happened when they raised Seth. How do we know this? Well, it says that Seth had a son and he named him Enosh. And then there's this little verse after that. It seems kind of like an afterthought, but I think it's really significant. It says that after Seth had Enosh, that is when men and women began praying and worshiping in the name of God. And kids will do that to you. (laughs) You have kids, it'll make you start seeking the Lord more. When he had him, they started praying and worshiping in the name of God. Um, here's what I mean by that. Even though things had gone poorly, things had gone sideways, they kept seeking God and that had a tremendous impact on Seth's life. And in Luke chapter three, when we trace back the genealogy of Jesus, it goes back through the son Seth. That's where it goes. Now, Seth meant appointed substitute. And when he started his family line, people began praying and worshiping in the name of God. And one of his descendants, Jesus, became the ultimate substitute for us. I think that's pretty powerful stuff. There was a commitment that became a heritage even though they didn't see it. Even though we may not see the fruits of our labor, we still need to plant those seeds Even if we don't get to see the fruit now, we'll reap an eternal reward. But we have to stay committed and we have to stay faithful. Okay, lastly, mothers and grandmothers teach. Solomon says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, maybe there's some moms today that would say, Nathan, all of that sounds good. I did. I trained my child. I taught them. I raised them right. And they made a different decision. They walked away from what they were taught. Let me encourage you with a couple stories from the scriptures. The first one is from the Old Testament book of Judges. And it's a character that we all know well. It's a guy by the name of Samson, right? Samson's parents were a godly couple. Like Hannah, they weren't able to have kids. Weren't able to get pregnant until one day they were visited by an angel of the Lord. And this is out of Judges 13. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man from God told me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God for the womb to the day of his death. Well, you know the story. Samson started off really well. He started off well. He was on the right path. He was doing big things for God. He was delivering them from the hand of the Philistines, but he started to wander. He started to stop listening to the voice of his mother. He found a Philistine woman that he wanted to marry. His mother said, not a good idea. Why don't we find you a wife from our people? He didn't listen. He said, no, he wanted to marry. That didn't end up going very well. And then things got even worse 
as he stopped listening to the voice of his mother, um, hanging around the people that he was supposed to be setting them free from, hanging around the Philistines, hanging around Philistine women. He was touching dead things. He was drinking wine. He was doing all the things that he wasn't supposed to do. And then one day, you know the story, his hair was cut. He was betrayed. His hair was cut and his power was stripped from him. He was in the pit, literally, uh, chained to a mill, grinding grain is what they had him doing after they gouged out his eyes. But in the depths of despair, the teaching of his mother comes back to him. The Philistines are having a huge feast, right? They're having a huge feast. They say, bring Samson out here. We're going to mock him. We want to have fun with this guy who used to beat us up. Bring him out here. Now he's the laughing stock of the people that he used to hung around. He used to hang around the Philistines. Now he's the laughing stock. But he bows his heart and he prays to the Lord. He says, God, give me strength one more time. Use me mightily. And he brings down the house, literally. Uh, 3,000 Philistines die in that one event, which was more than all of the people that he had taken out up to that point. 3,000 Philistines in that one event, that was um, a powerful request from Samson. Use me one more time. At the end of his life, he came back to God. He returned to the Lord. Later, Isaiah would write in 5511, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent. Your words, moms, are powerful. Powerful in teaching your kids the things of the Lord. And whatever age they are, they're not going to return void. They're going to succeed with what God sent them out for. They're going to accomplish his purpose. Speaking in faith, praying over your kids, regardless of their current spiritual state, believing that when they are old, they will not depart from it. God can do what seems impossible. Lastly, let's look at the life of Matthew. Now, we're not told anything about his mother, but you can only imagine raising a son in a, in a culture, in a time where they were in desperate need of a Savior, of a Messiah. Uh, the country had been trampled time and time again. Now they were being oppressed by the Roman people. They had raised their son right. They brought him up in the ways of the Lord, and yet he walks away. Matthew walks away from God. He walks away from his people. He walks away to embrace the world by living, working for the enemy, and being a traitor by becoming a tax collector, oppressing his own people. I'm sure the situation looked hopeless to his mother, but I have to believe that she was praying for him. I have to believe that she was praying for her son, Matthew, to come back, praying for the impossible to happen, at least what seemed impossible, humanly speaking, until Jesus came along. Jesus comes along. And he got a hold of Matthew's heart and he would never be the same. And now her son was the radical one in town. Her son was the one that had left everything, not to abandon his family and his faith, but to embrace a savior. Nathan, how do you know that he was brought up in the ways of the Lord? Matthew's gospel that we're going through is the most detailed description of Jesus's life and ministry. It contains the most Old Testament references to the Messiah. The most Old Testament prophecy. He knew the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament, or he wouldn't have been able to quote it time after time after time. Somebody that had walked away from the faith, walked away from his people, was now writing specifically to them to try to save them. That's what Matthew was doing. 
It's a beautiful story of redemption and restoration. And if you're a mother here today that's experienced the heartache of a child that has walked away from God to embrace the things of the world, um, let me encourage you today that God can do the impossible. He can accomplish the impossible and he can recapture their heart. He could redeem and restore them in a big time way. In Revelations chapter 3, Jesus says, To the one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and they will never leave it again. Not a pagan pillar torn down, but a pillar that's going to stand forever in the house of the Lord. And they'll never leave it again. That's the hope and the prayer of every mother whose child isn't walking with the Lord. But God can do it. He can accomplish it. God's love for each and every one of us is the same. We can walk a thousand miles away from God and all we have to do is repent, turn around, and he's there waiting for us to redeem us and to restore us. That's grace. Religion says, get it right. That's what religion says, get it right. But grace says, I'll be there for you when you get it wrong. That's what a mother does. Mothers are full of grace. I'll be there for you when you get it wrong. That's the way Jesus loves us. We're called to be godly braces for impact. And you do that through your introduction to God's word, your motivation towards spiritual things, towards Jesus, your persistent prayer. Uh, One of the great tragedies in life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Too many times we don't even offer the prayer, and uh, we need to be doing that more and more and more. Also through casting vision, right? Through those aspirations, seeing our kids the way that God sees them. And through your commitment and your faithfulness, never giving up on them. And by our godly teaching. Moms, you have their ear. You have more time. Even when they've left the house, they still love. You know more phone calls are made today than any other day of the year. Mother's Day. You have their heart regardless of what it might look like. May all of our lives be characterized by sowing into the lives of the next generation. Uh, when we have the opportunity to do baby dedications, um, I don't know if we'll ever have a baby in here, but <laughs> um, we will not only charge the parents, but we will charge the grandparents as well and the congregation, everybody. It is our opportunity. It is our obligation as a family to sow into the next generation, to the children around us. We have to plant seeds, but that means that we have to plow the ground of relationship, right? We have to engage the kids in conversation. I know in my life, one of the things that my mom did, because when I was a teenager, of course, my parents didn't know anything, and they would send people into my life to say the exact same things that they were saying because they wasn't listening, right? But I would listen to somebody else, and they would say, that's exactly what I said. But they would send people into my life. So it is important for those of us in the family, in the body, to do that as well. Uh, Working in the kids area, engaging the kids. Um, But nobody can do that as effectively as moms can. Uh, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan had four sons and all of them were preachers. Someone once came uh, into their house as they were talking and said uh, to one of them, one of their sons was named Howard. And they said, Howard, uh, who was the greatest preacher in your family? Now, Howard had a lot of respect for his father, but without a hesitation, he looked over at his mom and he said, my mother, my mother was the greatest preacher in this family with her example, with the way she lived, with the way that she taught, with the way that she impacted and influenced her kids. He said, she was the greatest preacher in our family. Others shaped the future, quite literally. And 
you know, in certain parts of the world, um, the population is dwindling because they have stopped having kids. And, you know, one of the, one of the, the major things that we can do um, as Christians is having children, right? Raising up godly children. That is the goal of every parent, to raise godly men and women that are pointed towards the Lord, that are impacting the kingdom. And that's how we're going to fight back against the dark times that we find ourselves in. So uh, many prayers for the moms to persevere, uh, for the kids, and like I said, for the country, for what we're going through. This is going to be uh, a very important time, um, a turning event in our country's history. And uh, those justices need prayer, uh, that there will be more mothers, more life, more children being brought in. Um, and that, that, you know, God has a plan for those kids, uh, just like he does for ours as well.